0: y'all were uh, having an issue with COVID, and that actually is going on everywhere. So we we were having a a big gathering at our home uh, tonight, and we are not now. So there you have it. I suspect in Auburn we'll have this huge spike. I don't know what it is about college students, but you can tell them not to gather in groups, and it falls on deaf ears. And so all these students are going to come to town and we expect the numbers just to go crazy for a couple of weeks, and then I think we'll be okay. So I'm I'm not too too terribly worried about it, but, uh, yeah, it, it should be an interesting time. I think we're going to be dealing with this for a few years. You know, we keep thinking, oh, we have these vaccines, we're going to be, uh, well, I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> so, but you know, God God is sovereign even over this, He is sovereign even over this, and so not that we don't need to be smart and be wise and you know and and do the best that we can uh, and 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 for all of us, that doesn't necessarily mean the same things, and that's okay too uh, but but you know, I worship in a church in auburn and we and we worship on campus, so we follow the university rules and they're super strict <laughs> and so I think we're all wearing masks this morning. <laughs> which uh, is not a whole lot of fun for worship. You can't sing. You, can't, you know, you can't see each other's faces. And we have all these people we're trying to meet. And, and, you, and then later on, when you don't have a mask, you don't even know who they were. It's, it's just so frustrating. We're going to be reading uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Here as I read God's Word. As one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God. But under the law of Christ. That I might win those that are outside the law. To the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. That I might share with them in its blessing. Let's pray. Holy God, our Father, we praise you this day for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you have demonstrated for us. Lord, for the great privilege it is uh, to know you and to worship you, to be able to to gather this day as a body of believers. Lord, we do pray that you would bless uh, the preaching and the hearing of your word, that you would speak through your word proclaimed this day. That you would accomplish your purposes, or that you would be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You know, I have the uh, I have the privilege of working at Auburn with Rufi, and this is a ministry of the PCA. Ruf, I think most people are more familiar with, and that is a ministry to uh, to college students, uh, and so a lot of a lot of uh, families when their kids go to college a lot of them will be involved in this ministry and uh, it, it's really college is such an important time for college students and, and they begin as they move away from home uh, they, uh, many of them make their faith their own some of them they go through a period of trying and so it's great to have, uh, to have ministers on the college campus who can connect with them but in God's providence uh, he has sent uh, to the U.S. About a, about a million graduate students from around the world. That's a lot, isn't it? About a million. Now, that was before COVID. I'm not sure how many it might be this year. But historically, we've had about a million that come. And most of them come uh, from the 1040 window, from the area of the world that uh, that, that we are really seeking to see you know, uh, God's church established. The 1040 window is that area where there's just not a strong gospel witness. And these are often places that we cannot easily go. We can't send missionaries uh, there, at least traditional missionaries in the sense that, that we know. Uh, but but God has sent many from these places to our college campuses. Last night I was at a party uh, and it was we were celebrating uh, Pakistan's Independence Day. It was like their 4th of July. And uh, I have an intern, and he noticed that they were having a party, and he texted me, we should go to this. And so we went to uh, this party last night, and we met a bunch of... uh, I saw some students that I already knew, but we met a bunch of new students who were here that will be in Auburn, some for two years and some for four. It's interesting, these students that come... Uh, to study, they, they, they fall under one of three categories. If they're graduate students, they're uh, they're, they're they're bright. If they're here for a PhD, it's their, it's probably the, some of the smartest from their country that are here to study. Uh, if it's undergrad and they're here, they're from very wealthy families because they don't come with scholarships. The gra- the PhD students are generally uh, uh, those those come under grants, often through our through grants from either industries or for for our government, and they really are considered cheap labor. I mean, we we they're paid here to to do research, and uh, but these but these students uh, that are undergrad they generally come from very very wealthy families, and they drive cars that I could never afford to drive. It's really quite amazing when I see this, but God has brought brought these students here, and they are they are very open to explore our culture, many of them, not all of them, you know, there are some that, you know, kind of stay in their group, and, but, but many of them we're we able to, uh, to engage and, and really establish really great friendships with them, and we share not only our lives, but the things that are most important to us, so we have, you know, we have a lot of people through our home, last, I think last Friday night we had 15 people over for dinner. Uh, pray for my wife. <laughs> we'll do that for the next several weeks. We'll have lots of people over for dinner, a lot of new students to welcome them to Auburn and just, just to begin to get to, to know them. And it's interesting, as we prepare uh, for these who are coming, we have to prepare for all kinds of students. You know, some are from countries that, that uh, don't eat meat. They only eat vegetables. They're vegetarians. Some only eat certain kinds of meat. You know, if they're from India, they might not eat beef. But if they're from a Muslim country, they won't eat pork. So guess what we always cook? Chicken. <laughs> we will eat so much chicken this year. Yes, yeah. Chicken or fish is safe. Chicken or fish is safe. Last night when we were at this Pakistani uh, deal, they, I think they had lamb and chicken. Lamb is also, also very popular among, or among the Muslims. You know, God sovereignly saves his children through the gospel proclaimed. That is the main point of my sermon. God saves his children through the gospel proclaimed. You know, God has uh, determined the end, and he has determined the means to the end. The end is our salvation. You know, we are in sin, we're separated from God because of our sin and our rebellion, and And he saves us from the penalty of our sin and the consequences of our sin. And he does this uh, through the gospel. So the Apostle Paul writes, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed. It is the power of God. And God sovereignly rules over everything. And this is really quite hard, I think, for us to get our minds around. You know, God is sovereign. The scripture teaches, you know, that he he sovereignly rules over all, that nothing happens outside of his will. And it also teaches that we are responsible before him for our actions. Now, these two doctrines used to drive me crazy. When I, you know, I I was not raised in Reformed Presbyterian circles, and so I was a good Armenian, if you know what that is, and... I was quite happy uh, with this. And then when I began to to wrestle with some of the scriptures about how God sovereignly really does rule, that there really is nothing that takes him by surprise. He's not up in heaven looking down and wondering what might happen next. No. You know, he doesn't have a plan. You know, I make plans, but I also have contingency plans if my plans don't work out. God doesn't have a plan B or a C. He doesn't need them. Nothing that you do takes him by surprise. Some of the things that you do you take yourself by surprise, but not him. And so the scripture is saying, "We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good." For those who are called according to His purpose, all things. I've had a very interesting summer. It was not uh, in my plan. Anybody else have an unusual summer? Maybe some of you have. Uh, Yes. Uh, uh, Let's see. I guess it was toward the end of May. I went to see my doctor and told him, you know, I I think I have a little heart blockage. And um, this seems to run in my family. And so I was familiar with uh, the symptoms I was having. So I went and saw him. I said, I think I have a little heart blockage. I had already diagnosed myself, which is terrible. You shouldn't do that. And I also knew what I needed. I needed a stent. You know, and that's outpatient surgery. You know, you go in and you get that. You know, I've been in the uh, pastoral ministry for, what, 30 years. And so I've seen it so many times. When you're, when you're a pastor, you have an MDiv in medicine, too. You've been in so many hospitals and seen so many things that you just kind of pick up on a few things if you have half of a brain. And so I knew. I was like, man, I need a stent. And so I went in there and I told him and, and he said, "Well, just go right over here to this cardiologist, and they'll do a they'll do a stress test today, and we'll know the results." And I said, "Okay, that'll be great." So I drove in my car across town. You know, Auburn's not real big, and I go. They have a a walk in pain clinic, and I I went in there, and the the little nurse said, "You know, our doctor's not here. He's at the hospital doing heart cats," and uh and I and she said. Uh, I said, well, that's no problem. I'll come back next week. And she said, well, I'm not really comfortable sitting you home. And I was like, well, I'm comfortable going home. <laughs> What's the problem here? Well, uh, and so uh, I was feeling a little pressure on my chest. And I said, you know, being around all you doctors has kind of made me nervous. I feel a little pressure on my chest. And so then she gives me a couple, she gives me a, some pill, a nitroglycerin tablet. Have you ever heard of it? Right. So she gives me one of these. And asked me, how do you feel? And I was like, wow, I feel better. Well, evidently, that's not a good sign. So then she says, hold on a minute. Let me go call the doctor. So she leaves the room and she comes back and she says, the doctor would like to see you. And I said, now? And she said, yeah, he's at the hospital. And I said, well, okay, I'll just head over there. And she said, well, no, we're going to transport you. And I'm thinking, ambulance, $1,000. No, I can drive, you know. And she said, no, we're going to transport you. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? So the little ambulance comes, and they put me in a little deal. I called my wife, and I said, sweetie, I'm going to the hospital for a test. That was, That's called partial disclosure. It really wasn't full disclosure. You know, that's not good. I I've repented. So I said, I'm going to the hospital for a test. You're going to need to pick me up because... I'm going to be medicated. All of that is true, right? It's just not the whole story. I didn't want to worry. I'm, I'm having a crowd of internationals over for dinner that night. Yeah. So I'm calling my daughter. Hey, your, your mom's going to have to pick me up at the hospital. You need to be at the house to meet, to greet all these people because I'm going to be there. I'm going to go get my little stint and I'm going to go home. I had it all figured out because I had a plan. So I go. They, they will me in. They... They take me right out of the back of that ambulance, right into the heart cath lab. I thought, wow, this is service. And and they, you know, I'm laying on the bed signing some piece of paper. I don't even know what I'm signing. I basically told them they could do whatever they wanted because they did. And then, so they start doing the heart cath and lo and behold, I am in a real bad way. I had no idea. Uh, the you know have you heard of the widowmaker artery? 99% blockage. I was like so close to a massive heart attack. I would have gone to heaven really soon. Yes. And so when they see this, they start stop the heart cath, and they rush me into emergency surgery, and I have a bypass, which is a little bit more involved. Then a stent, which was my plan, right? I wake up the next day and I am wired to everything under the sun. I've never seen so many wires. I'd had a triple bypass surgery. I had open heart surgery. That was not my plan. And the little nurse, you know, and I, it, it's quite amazing. I really felt quite good. I've been with lots of people who have had these. And, you know, it's, they look terrible. They get all swollen and, you know, they hurt. For all the things that they do to you, and and um, and I really, I was, I, I really did not. Uh, God was gracious to me in that way, uh, but it really did impact my whole summer. It was not at all what I had planned. So June was wiped out with rehab and and walking and things like that. But you know, the little nurse I was talking to, and I was complaining to her. I said, you know, y'all have done such a good job here. I'm just so impressed with how y'all handled these situations. There's just one thing that I want to complain about. I said, you shaved half of my leg and half of my chest. I looked like a clown. Why didn't you just shave everything, you know? (laughs) And she said, and she said, your situation was not normal. You were, we were trying to get you into surgery without you having a heart attack. We didn't care what you looked like. And I was like, I had no idea. I was like, seriously? She was like, oh, you wouldn't have made it through the weekend. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That was not my plan. But it was the Lord's plan, you know. And so surgery went really well and all everything else. This was 12 weeks ago. Uh, so it was not very long. Uh, and 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 within, you know, of that day, I saw three doctors in about, Three hours, and the uh, during the heart calf, when they realized that I was in trouble, the surgical room was open, and the surgeon was open, and he was there. You know, can you? I mean, I had one doctor's appointment, and I saw all those doctors in such a short period of time. You know, I, so God is good. I'm grateful. Now, had I died, He would have still been good. You know, because to live is Christ, but to die is gain, and we need to remember this. You know, I think we're all mourning the loss of our dear friend uh, Neil. Now, I went to college with Neil; I know him well. Listen, he's better off than us. He is better off than us. You know, I feel for his family. His son Clay is at Auburn and involved with us, with international students. Just a great guy. Love love his family, but but uh, I don't I don't feel bad for Neil. Uh, I am sad for his family. But God is at work in even that. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It says, for those whom he foreknew. This verse drove me nuts. He foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, Ephesians says, we were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. Uh, that we would be holy and blameless in His sight. When were you? Cho- when were you chosen? Before you were born. Before you had done anything, good or bad. Read Romans nine. For those who predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among the brothers. And for those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. The golden chain of redemption. Those he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justifies, he glorifies. Now, he doesn't call all and save some. It's all, 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 all. That just, I, I wasn't happy with that when I when I first read that. That did not fit. I just couldn't. I could not just come together with God's sovereignty and His love for all people, but only saving some. All these sorts of things really caused me really uh, a lot of well, a lot of confusion. For some, he, ro- he rolls over everything. There's nothing we see that He doesn't say mine. He created, He sustains, He governs, and so even though this COVID thing, which is kind of crazy, uh, wow it's not it's not outside of his will. He can rule over a fallen world we're still responsible for our sin and the consequences of it and he can even he rules even through that for good. What we mean for evil he uses for good and so <coughs> So the scripture says, not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now for some of you that's not very difficult, but for others it is more involved. There's nothing that he doesn't know. If, you're, if you feel bad about, I've got a brother and all of his hair has fallen out and or it's just quit growing or whatever it does. And he has the gall to tease me about my hair turning gray. Can you imagine? I'm like, brother, and he's younger than me. At least I can dye mine, you know? And he, he says, well, if I wanted to, I could have him surgically implanted. I was like, you go for that. <gasps> yeah, no. no. He knows all. That is the point. He truly does know all. And we are called to be servants for the gospel because He has chosen not only the end but the means to the end. And the the end is uh, the salvation of His people and the means is through the gospel. God has chosen that men would be saved by the foolishness of the gospel proclaimed. And the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved... It is the aroma of God. It is the aroma of God. We are called to be servants for the gospel. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You know, he has no idea. He says, I have made myself Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. We are called to be servants of the gospel. Jesus in Mark 10 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Or Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, honestly... How uh, hard is that? That condemns us all, doesn't it, right there? Oh, my goodness. I don't have any problem looking out for my own interest. It just comes natural to me. When Kevin called and said, can you preach on Sunday, I was like, no. (laughs) It's like, no. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So here I am. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And this is this is something that we don't choose to do this once, we choose to do this daily. Consider the interest of others. Let each of you not o- look let each of you look not only to his own interest but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know, he... He gave his life for us, he put our interests before his own. You know, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but thine be done you know it's not an easy it's not an easy thing so you know, so you know so the the Christian life can really be summarized as a as a life of self sacrifice it's a constant dying to self and and living for Christ. It is because I have this natural bent which is to live for myself and my own interest and to do those things which most please me. 1 Corinthians 10, Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Wow. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It is through the wisdom of God. It, uh, it's not through the wisdom of man, but it is through the gospel. You know, I interact with these really, really bright students. Uh you know, they're they uh they're I mean, if you're a PhD student then you're you're way above average in intellect. And a lot of these I mean a lot of these students are just oh my goodness, they're so And They're so young. And and they have they come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, And they have all kinds of issues uh, with the gospel depending on where they're from. And so we have fascinating conversations with them. This one student recently said, asked me a question. They said, okay, if I believe uh, that that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for my sin. But I don't believe that He's God. Can I be a Christian? Guess what His background is? Islam. But He's not a Muslim. But He's not a Muslim. But He's from a Muslim country. It's fascinating. I've never been asked that. an American, I was like, "Oh wow!" He was like, "Why? You know, why? Can you give me some verses in the Bible that that show me that Jesus is God?" I said, "Yeah, I can do that." So I, you know, I sent him a, a bunch of verses. Uh, so he's, you know, he's he's wrestling with things. And then there's another student, and and uh, he really likes Christian teaching. He's very moral. If uh, He's a great guy. And he, uh, he likes to go to church and he likes to worship with Christians. But he's okay to worship with Muslims too. Or with anyone else for that matter. Guess where he's from? India. Yeah. They believe everything. There are many gods. And so so it's so confusing. And he's such a great guy. Uh i he's he's i really do appreciate him and uh, but he has trouble with jesus being the only way he can be a way he's okay with that now not too long ago he was he was at my home and there were some other folks there and they all this group knows each other really well and phenomenal cooks and he oh uh, we on the, we're not on the radio are we Anybody, anyway, that's a good question. Well, we won't say any names. Anyway, so he says to this one, uh, to this other guy, he says, uh, I don't think you're a Christian. Now, this is someone who would say that they were a Christian. He says, I don't think you're a Christian. And the other student said, yes, I am. And and he said, no. He said, uh, you believe some things that are not consistent with what Christians believe. And then he looks at me and he says, uh, Michael, do you think that this person is a Christian? And there's this person sitting there. <laughs> there's this little American college student. Just, she, I thought she, you know, she felt so uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know, I can't, I can't judge a person's heart. I can't just look at their heart and say, oh, they're a Christian and they're not. I said, I can tell you what a Christian must believe in order to be a Christian. He says, okay, tell her what a Christian must believe. So I give her a kind of a summary of the gospel and then she's, then he looks at her and says, do you believe that? Now, he's not a Christian. And she said, well, yes. And, and then he says, but you believe things which are not consistent uh, with what Christians believe. He said, Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to God. Doesn't, doesn't that, isn't that what the Bible teaches, Mike? This guy's been around a lot of Christians. So he knows. And I said, Yes. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He claims to be the only way to God. And then he looks at her and says, do you believe that? And I said, y'all, this is so funny. I've never seen a Hindu sharing the gospel with a Christian. This is a first. This is a first. You know, but it was encouraging that enough Christians had, had engaged him that he understands what we believe. He does understand Look in verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews because we are called to identify uh, with others for the gospel. And this is something I think that we need to to really take to heart as Christians, you know, because we are living in a society that's becoming more and more post-Christian. And, and, and so our neighbors and, and particularly the young people no longer share our world and life view. And so how we... How we engage them about spiritual things today is quite different from how it was 20 or 30 years ago. Trust me, I've been around college students for about 40 years now. Yeah, about 40 years. Yeah, I started when I was one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so, uh, so how, we en- how we engage these uh, uh, people in our culture has, has, has shifted. We can no longer assume that they believe certain things. And so we need to know where people are even even to know how to, to talk with them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Uh, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Those, those would probably be the Gentiles, wouldn't it? You know, Under the law, it would be, probably be the, uh, the Jews or, or or uh, even the Gentiles who who were following the law of God. So he says to those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, and this is important: not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So even though I identify with people, you know, I, I, I never abandon my faith, and that is very important. You know, our 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 message is fixed; our methodology can be quite flexible. Th- this is this. And this is something more difficult, I think, for those of us who are a little bit older, because we, you know, we kind of are stuck in our lane, and then we start engaging these young people, and it's like, oh my goodness gracious, this can't be right. Uh, The gospel does not change, but sometimes how I get there with them can be a little bit different. My approach with uh, with Someone from China is very different from my approach to someone from the Middle East, which is very different from my approach with someone from India, which is different from my approach with somebody from Thailand, which is more Buddhism. You know, so you have believe everything, believe nothing, you know, believe good principles. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's all over the map. I do find certain commonalities and all these different religions are philosophies. And that is the second table of the moral law of God. Almost all of them teach it, you know. And so I'll say, oh, you know, I, I can say to, to most any religion, oh, there's a lot that, that, you know, Buddha taught that I really think is really quite good. You know, he tells us to love our... I said, he tells us to, you know, to do good to others and to be kind. And, you know, I said, Jesus said the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's very consistent. Same thing with uh, with Muslims and what they believe, or, or even Hindus. You know, talk about morality. What, what is your basis for 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 morality? Is it fixed, or is it not? And so, so you know, my approach with all of these, and what's really complicated, is when I get them all in one room together, and they're all from all over the place, and we have this conversation about uh, any topic. And I'll say, you know, well, you know. My, my views are, are based on, on what the Bible teaches. You know, and, and they all might have, several of them might have, uh, I believe, in, in a holy book. And, and they might line up with what I believe on certain issues, and they might on other. It's, it's fascinating discussions uh, with these students. Last year, some of the discussions we had were, were, were wow, they were mind-boggling. But when I invite them over, you know i I try to engage them on their terms and i try I try to remove things that are obstacles to the gospel or I try to explain them if I can you know and so i don't invite a bunch of Muslims over and demonstrate my freedom in Christ by serving them pork i don 't do that that would you know that would be very offensive to them you know so I I I, I I I try to remove unnecessary obstacles, even though I'm not free to eat these things you know uh Uh, but they might not, you know. And and you're called to do that to reach your community. Our approach is flexible. Our message uh, is fixed. Your approach to people with a church background is different from those who have had little connection to the church. It is. There are some people who... Were raised in the church and then they abandoned it for a while, but they understand a lot. They've just kind of abandoned it. I, I've run into a lot. I've run into quite a few college students like this. There are good books to read with them that answer their intellectual problems because of the education systems that they've come through. Uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, dead theologians writes, uh, though he would transgress no laws of Christ to please any man, yet he would accommodate himself to all men where he might do it lawfully to gain some. So he says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Just a couple of short closing uh, applications. Uh, I was pastor in Troy for a long time. And uh, this one uh, older widow lady had a huge impact on many families uh, in many cities across the world, this, this single widow lady. And she did so by making a homemade pot of soup and taking it to a new neighbor that moved on her street and inviting them to church. And that little couple started worshiping with us. And though they were Christians, they were of a very different flavor. But over time, uh, the Lord really showed them a lot of things in His Word (laughs) through their worship and, and involvement with our church. Because this widow lady made them a pot of soup and invited them to church, and then they uh they've lived in many cities around the world, and they're just gatherers, they just engage people well and and uh and so they they were in Alaska for a while and I, and they were over they might have been in Korea for a while they' just uh they're in the military but I think about all the families that have been impacted by this family because of...